God and obeying God. Uh, and here's why, they might say, here's why I really don't worry too much about this love, obey thing. Uh, perhaps you've heard this verse. You know, there's nothing you can do that would make God love you any the less. How many of you heard that verse? Oh dear, how many of you have a reference for it? <laughs> That's kind of a folk legend that goes around in Christian circles. And it makes a lot of people comfortable. You know, there's nothing I can do that'll make God love me less. I think of uh, my relationship to my father. And uh, there's nothing I could do that would unrelate me to my father. But there were things that I did occasionally that kind of broke our fellowship. You know, he wasn't quite as pleased with me as I would hope he would be. Uh, <laughs> I remember one time as about a 12-year-old kid, maybe 11, I had a big scientific experiment in my mind. Dad had collected some windows in frames. He had about three or four of them. They were leaned up against the chicken house. And I got to thinking, could I actually throw a rock through all four windows at once? And so I found this suitable rock. And honest, this was an experiment. I mean, this was, there was no malicious intent. Uh, I just felt that that was probably more important than anything else I could do at that point. So I picked up a rock and I threw it through all four pieces of glass at once. A couple of days later, my dad says, John, come here. So we walked up to the barn, to the chicken house, and he said, uh, did you do that? And I said, yes. And he said, don't quote him, he said, you jackass, you. And he turned around and walked back to the house. And that's, that's the last I heard of it. He probably felt that it would be bad to beat a dumb animal. <laughs> but he loved me. There's no doubt about that. There's nothing I could do, even breaking those windows, that would make him love me the less. But it kind of disturbed our relationship. And uh, this verse, there's nothing I can do that will cause God to let me, love me less, is really not in the Bible anywhere. There is relationship and there's fellowship that we have to think about. And uh, the relationship, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, that's secure, that's solid, that's not going anywhere. But there certainly our level of fellowship can go up and down. We're going to look at a passage that says, if we love God, he loves us back. Then there's a certain relationship of love that can be set to one side. If we're not loving him, there isn't that reciprocal love that comes back to us. Now we're going to talk more about that. Another way of looking at this whole issue that's totally wrong, and I hope you're not thinking this way, and that is that God's love covers everything, including my lack of love and obedience. So, you know, here's this God, and he's just showering love down, and it really doesn't matter what I do, because his love covers it all. Well, you see, that doesn't really work either. And then there's another one. 
using confession and forgiveness, I can deal with any breaches between my love for God and my obedience to God. And I can do that anytime. In other words, I can just kind of live the way I want to live, knowing that it's not pleasing God, and I can take care of it later. Well, that doesn't really work either. Then there's another error. I hope none of you think these things, but maybe you know somebody that does. Once I get to heaven, this love, obedience thing won't make any difference at all. You know, you've heard it all. We all get our crowns. We lay them at Jesus' feet. That's the end of it. Uh, or, you know, we get to heaven and we have different sized mansions and uh, Cheryl's going to have a big mansion and Marty's will be alongside and it won't be quite as big. So uh, <laughs> he'll have time to help her, you know, do the dusting and cleaning the bathrooms and so on. And uh, you really don't want to get into that so that, you know, you really don't care. You really don't want a big mansion. That's a misunderstanding of heaven's rewards. And today I want to show you, if I can, why the love-obey thing is hugely important. Uh, now and forever. And the issue is, will you take this seriously? You know, you'll hear what I say if you don't doze off. But are you going to take it seriously? Uh, I had a, just a general appointment with my doctor, kind of a health checkup. And one of the questions was, do I have any trouble with my balance? And, you know, when you're 82 and a half, not quite as old as your wife, uh, you're bound to wobble just a little bit. And he said... Uh, if I give you some exercises to improve your balance, will you do them? And I said, probably not. <laughs> I was thinking afterwards, that was really kind of rude, but it was the truth. Uh, if I give you some exercises, will you do them? Probably not. Well, I hope that after you hear this sermon, you won't say, well, it was fun to see John again, but probably not. Uh, I hope you'll take this seriously because God does. This love-obedience thing is terribly important, and here's why. To start with, loving and then obeying uh, helps one avoid all the hazards that come as a part of disobedience. There's a verse in Scripture that says, The wages of sin is death. And we think, well, that's talking about somebody avoiding Jesus and winding up in hell. You know, living in sin and winding up in hell. Wages of sin is death. But here's the truth. The wages of sin are death right now. And sin breaks relationships. Sin kills opportunities and potentials. And you avoid that if you set your heart and mind to love God and obey him. You keep yourself out of all kinds of trouble. And then secondly, the passage that we're looking at tells us that when there's obedience, we're loving God, and God in return loves us. Now it's an if-then statement. If I do this, then he does that. 
Now, this is talking about the fellowship. It's not talking about the relationship. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, that's secure. But fellowship is another thing, getting along with God, getting close to God, having him really and truly in your life. That's an if-then proposition. Now listen to what it says. Whoever has my commandments, this is John 14, verse 21, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me, catch this, this is an if-then, he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, there's this relationship that's possible with God. And if you've lived part of your life in rebellion against God, you're running away from God. Then, then when you make that decision that you want to obey God, you start moving towards God. And God, if you please, starts moving towards you in a new and different way. And if we had time, there's probably some of you here that could stand up and say, well, it used to be like this in my life. I avoided God at every turn. And then I came to the place where I said, God, I want to please you. And then God seemingly moved closer and closer. Now you have this relationship where we're just in touch all the time. It says very clearly, whoever has my commandments and keeps him, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Catch this, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now that's talking about a very special relationship with God, the Father, with God the Son, and I'm going to tell you, with God the Holy Spirit working within you. And that's all possible. And then a question, will it really matter throughout eternity whether or not as a Christian I have really loved and obeyed God? Well, it, it really will matter. Here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners win, or all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one striking the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul takes this thing very seriously, and so should we. Now, the question comes up, well, how in the world is this ever going to happen? I'm supposed to love God. I try, but how am I going to love him and obey him the way he would want me to? Well, the interesting thing about this passage 
in John 14 and 15 is you have mentions of the Holy Spirit. Here's where Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit to his disciples. They're all gathered in the upper room. He's been telling them that his time is limited. He's going to be crucified. He'll be raised from the dead. And they're all concerned about that. And then he introduces this idea of love and uh, really zeroes in on that. If you love me, you're going to obey me. And that's said several times in this passage. And uh, they're probably wondering, well, how in the world is this ever going to work? And you may be wondering too. You're saying, I got a sin nature. I do what I can, but I keep folding. I keep falling. I keep stumbling. How in the world is it possibly going to work? And it's interesting. Here are these commandments to love God, obey God, and right interspersed in them, there's three or four statements about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the absolute key to this. Let me read a passage to you from uh, a commentary section in this ESV Bible. If you don't have an ESV Bible, it's a study Bible, you really ought to get one. It's a tremendous help, great notes in it. And in the back of it, there's kind of a theological section that's really quite interesting and very, very well done. And there's quite a nice statement on the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, as a matter of fact, for my Sunday school class, I Xeroxed the Holy Spirit part and uh, was going to pass it out to them. But let me just uh, read it from one of these Xerox pages. Now, summing up the Holy Spirit's work, it says this, The ultimate goal of all of life is to know and love God, make Him known and therefore glorify Him. This goal is accomplished primarily through the work of the Holy Spirit reading the Bible, going to church, Christian fellowship, spiritual discipline, service, worship are not, uh, and worship are not, are merely playing at religion if all these activities are not done empowered and guided and filled by the Spirit. A life pleasing to God involves daily dependence upon the precious Holy Spirit. He is to be known, sought, and loved. His awakening and empowering have always been the essential ingredients of a true and lasting work of God in the lives of his people. His work transforms lives of believers. His work in transforming the lives of believers is the key to a Christian life that experiences God's blessing and becomes an effectual witness to a cynical, skeptical world. So what he's really saying here is that you can't do it as a Christian apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the midst of these instructions about loving each other and loving each other intensely, we find these statements about the Holy Spirit. Let me read them and comment on them. He says, to start with, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and then rolls right into the Holy Spirit, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Terribly important passage. God the Holy Spirit indwells the hearts of believers. He's there. He's a helper. And in this passage describing the Holy Spirit, three times the word helper is used. He's there to help. That's what helpers do. And he's the spirit of truth. 
the world around us pushes lies at us all the time. Satan is the liar, and his method is to tell us lies about reality. Uh, we are indwelt as Christians with the spirit of truth that helps us distinguish truth from lies. Our world around us, our culture is just inundating us with lies about what reality is. And the spirit of truth lives within us and gives us the ability to determine what's true and what's not true. What's been interesting to me over the years is to see new Christians, no background necessarily, they just trusted the Lord, felt convicted, trusted the Lord, and then they have an ability to sort of sniff out, if you please, what's true and what's false. And I've seen it. Uh, and perhaps you have too. Perhaps you've experienced it. You trusted the Lord and the lights went on. And all of a sudden you could see that there are lies out there. What people are telling you about reality just isn't true. That's the spirit of truth within you, helping you discern truth from error. He again, he speaks of love and he says this, whoever does not love me does not keep my word. And then he goes on to say, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, or as the NIV has it, the counselor, the one who comes alongside us, the advocate, the one who pleads our cause, who's there for us, but the helper. These things have I spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. And God the Holy Spirit does that in the life of the committed Christian. If you want to grow, if you want to be sincere, if you want to obey God, if you want to please him, God the Holy Spirit is within you as a helper to see that that's accomplished. The passage goes on. We find in John 15, verses 26 and 7 and following. But when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. I tell you this, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now, here were the disciples that were struggling with this whole idea that he was going to be killed. They had kingdom vision in mind. They even argued about who was going to sit on the right hand and the left hand when he comes into his kingdom. And he's telling them, no, it's not going to work that way. There's a kingdom coming, but not what you're thinking. And then he tells them, you're better off if I leave, because if I leave, then the Spirit will come. And you're better off with God the Holy Spirit, not only with you, but dwelling in you. You're better off than if I would stay with you. Perhaps you've thought, well, you know, if I could just have been one of the disciples, I could have been different. I could have been better. Well, you know, they struggled. They had a hard time getting what Jesus was talking about. 
and it just blew him away when he got crucified. They didn't start lighting up until he was raised from the dead. Then they got the Holy Spirit, and they turned the world upside down. And Jesus says, you're better off, and that includes us today. We are better off today with God the Holy Spirit in us, with us, helping us, than if we were back in Jesus' day following him around some way. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convince or convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He's going to be there helping spread the gospel. God, the Holy Spirit, convicted you of your need for a savior. And God, the Holy Spirit, is within you. And when you do something that's wrong, you hear from him. He speaks to you through your conscience. And he will turn you in the right direction if you're willing. And Jesus says, that's a lot better for you than if I were still here. Now think with me about the work of the Holy Spirit in me that makes it possible to love and obey in measures that please God. First of all, God the Holy Spirit brings about my salvation. God the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. God the Holy Spirit gave the apostles the word they need to, need to say. So God the Holy Spirit brought the message of the gospel to me personally. He's there convicting the world of sin. What's wrong? Of righteousness, what's right? And the fact that there's a judgment coming. That prompts me. Prompted me to come to Christ. It prompts me to live each day in a proper way because God the Holy Spirit reveals sin and he reveals righteousness and he warns of the judgment to come. And then God the Holy Spirit guides and facilitates the whole process of becoming Christ-like. He develops spiritual maturity and holiness in any willing believer. And we're going to look at a passage in just a minute that spells that out a little bit more. And then the Holy Spirit enables me to be useful in the kingdom. He gives spiritual gifts to each one of us as believers, abilities to serve God. There's a, quite a variety of them. And then he helps us implement those gifts. Now, a question for all of us is, am I running from God or am I running to God? <laughs> There'd be a lot of stories to tell if we had the time. Am I running from God? Am I running to God? And uh, some of you could stand up, and I know Ron could, and talk about how I used to run from God. And then God intersected with my life. He came into my life and turned me around, and now I'm moving 
as rapidly as I possibly can towards God. I remember attending a, a little church in Centralia and uh, about half the size of this sanctuary. And it was obvious, just from the way things were said, they believed, they really believed that God was there with them. And the God, the Holy Spirit, was there in their midst. And they also really believed that any one of them could be changed by God. And sometimes we miss this in our churches. You know, we're a little scared of the Holy Spirit. We don't want anything weird to happen and, you know, this kind of stuff. And so we tend to back off. But it was very interesting. In this church, there was a conviction that God was there. And he would change anybody who wanted to be changed. I remember driving through Everson a lot of years ago, and there's a church there, and on the marquee it said, God himself will be here, and then named the date. I thought, wow, that's kind of bold, isn't it? But isn't it the truth? It's kind of up to us. Are we running from God, or are we running to God? Listen to these words from Galatians chapter 5. Paul's writing and he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's it in a sentence. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Be under His control, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And he goes on to spell what these things are, and they're not good. He talks about this struggle that goes on in the heart of believers. He said, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other. Then he goes on to say, now the works of the flesh are evident. And uh, you read this list and you think, well, boy, that'd make a good series or a good movie. Uh, you know, you can see it right now today on your television set or on your phone. Listen to it. The deeds of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these that I warned you about. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now those are the things that just kind of flow out of us. And just, we've got sin natures. It comes to us naturally. And how do we... How do we deal with that? Well, the passage starts out, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here's all these things that you know are wrong. They just keep popping up in your thinking. They come into your life from the outside. How do you handle it? How do I love God and obey God? Well, it says walk by the Spirit. 
Then the passage goes on to say, here's what God the Holy Spirit will do for you. Here's how he will change you. It says, the fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) We're all this time of year watching our fruit trees. I've got four apple trees. Uh, Linda's nephew, Scott, planted a bunch of different kinds of trees. Cherry trees, plum trees, he's got apple trees. He's got a couple other fruit trees. He's got blueberries, and he's kind of gone wild with this stuff. There are trees everywhere. And he's watching them. And this time of year, you see the buds come on. And the thing that I worry about this time of year, what's the weather going to be like when my apple trees all are in bloom? If it's wet and cold, I won't get many apples. If it's warm and there are bees out, but you see, these trees produce certain things. And uh, God, the Holy Spirit, when he's active in our lives, when we're saying yes, 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 yes to him, things happen. Good things happen. How do I love God and obey God? Walk by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ have put to death the flesh with its passions and desires. If we came alive by the Spirit, His working within us that caused us to be born again, He says, if we came alive by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. As we conclude, a couple of questions. Do I willingly and sincerely invite the Holy Spirit to be active in my life? Do you do that? You say, God, I'm, I'm still this little creature with a sin nature that's real easy for me to mess things up. God, please, please be active in my life. Show me what's wrong. Show me how to get out of the messes. Show me how to please you. Do you think that way? Do I value his convicting, instructing work? God, show me what's wrong. Show me any sin in my life. Uh, Help me to see through the lies that surround me. Help me to recognize truth from error. Do I value his work in my life? Do I ask him to bring about love and obedience and holiness in my life? God, I'm not perfect. I know I never will be. But please show me what needs to be done and help me do it. He's there for that. He wants to do that. He will do that if you're a willing believer and you want it done. Paul says it real well in Romans chapter 12. And it raises the question, have I done this? Have I presented myself to God as a living sacrifice? Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. In other words, in light of what God has done for us, I make this appeal. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's basically, God, (laughs) I'm all yours. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to become pleasing to you in my choices and my actions. I want you, God, to take over and be in control in my life. Have you done that? That's a big step. And uh, <laughs> there have been phases in my life where I've kind of taken it back and moved away, and then I had to say it again. God, here I am. I'm all yours. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, for the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Philip's translation puts it this way. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. What is shaping you? Is it the world around you? Or have you committed yourself to God and allow him to shape you? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Have you presented yourself to God? Say, God, I'm just this little teeny speck on this little teeny speck in space, but I want to know you, I want to love you. (laughs) I want to make you happy when you look down at me. Let's pray together, shall we? This might be a great time for you to say, God, that's what I want. And I commit myself to you. I want to love you the very most that I possibly can. And I want to obey you in every single way you tell me to. God, I'm all yours. Can you say that? Have you said it? Maybe you need to say it again. God, thank you for these marvelous truths. You ask us to do things that are beyond our ability, and then you send us the blessed Holy Spirit to be within us, that we might walk by the Spirit, Thank you, in Christ's name, amen. Thank you, John. It's always great to hear your messages, and I like your humor. It is very, it's fun. All right, let's all stand up, and I want to remind you that after uh, this service is over, we do have a a quarterly business meeting. And... uh, So we're going to sing Victory in Jesus. You know we have a big hole left in the congregation when Fonny uh, uh, went home to be with the Lord because uh, she was always sort of the front row cheerleader on his song and the the fist bumper. And so, you know, who's going to pick up the slack there? Well, I heard.